0: on the Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Foo, Foo and Pap. It's your girl Ajua and I'm Nicole. So Today we have a really amazing show. We're not gonna go back and forth with a lot of chit chat. Um, The conversation is too interesting for us to waste time chit chatting. (laughs) So today we have a really special guest. Um, His name is Kevin McEwen from Cafago Dance Ensemble. And he's going to talk about um, dance, his love for it, all of that jazz. Nicole catch me if I'm losing um, <laughs> stated,
1: right. no 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 you're totally on point so um, yeah we've we just sort of touched base with Kevin and he's going to talk exactly about what Adju said and just sort of his love for dance and um, he's also um, he's also created a documentary so we're gonna get into that um, and he is calling in from Brooklyn, Brooklyn New York so no, that'll be Brooklyn. really exciting. Um, new jersey what is it they're in new, oh, new jersey but new but jersey. he's from brooklyn right yeah okay. he's from brooklyn um anyways he's from there this that area the u.s new york new jersey <laughs> sorry you just said that um but yeah why don't we take a short little break and then we'll connect uh with kevin so just hang tight and we'll be right back
0: See me, I but I got so much love to give you. I got so much love to give you. Oh, na, 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 na. I blessed the day I found you. Let's go. Oh, Lord of mercy. Oh, don't see me when you
1: All right. So, Kevin, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, Um, sort of what you do as your profession, your research, and also um, your background and what led you to cultural dance and choreography.
2: Well, thank you very much. Um, As you said very well, my name is Kevin McEwen. I am uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, uh, Originally, my mom uh, is American. My father is from the island nation of Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, oh, so people call me a daddy in America. And, and um, it's I, I, my, the, the way that I got into the field of studying uh, cultural dance and, and particularly dances of the Caribbean and uh, Africa, it, 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 it wasn't a traditional uh, journey. Um, I went to school uh, at Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia to study business, business management. That was my major. Um, uh, any type of dancing that I did, uh, was, was done, you know, when you go to a party or something like that, but I always had a love for dance. Right. And so, um, you know, that's just, you know, coming out of Brooklyn, that's not something that you would go study at school. You know, imagine, imagine telling my parents, Hey, I want to go study dance. They're going to be like, what <laughs> you crazy. So, so that. It was just something that I did that I was passionate about. Um, when I was in high school, um, you know, we used to perform as well, too, but it was, it, it was, it was step. Mm-hmm. You know, stepping is, is really big in high schools, particularly in New York. So I used to do that as well, too. Um, going to Hampton University and leaving Hampton, um, I would relocate to Washington, D.C. And um, my first year in D.C. was probably, what was it, 2000? the year 2000 into 2001. Um, for Black History Month, I went to the Smithsonian's uh, African American Museum.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, when I went there, there was this dance company that, that was performing. And uh, it was called Conqueror West African Dance Company. And um, I, the thing that I like about it is that they had men and the men were men. They were like, wow, that's really cool. Um, and, and so, Uh, I wanted to get some more information about it. And so I spoke to them. He was like, yeah, we have classes on, uh, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays. and I think it was actually Mondays and Wednesdays. So I went to go to the class and um, I just fell in love with it. And and so I got an invitation to uh, study as an understudy with the, the dance company. And that's how it all started. Um, I performed with this company for about 10 years. And um, after the 10th year, I was like, you know what, I want to I wanna travel a little bit. Mm-hmm. So um, I started to uh, teach internationally, uh, nationally and internationally throughout the United States in the Caribbean. I, I do so many different things. Mm-hmm. Um, at one time, I was thinking about getting a uh, doctorate in dance education, but I didn't want to duplicate what I already had at the master's level. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, I, have, I have fluctuated between uh, health education uh, and arts administration at the doctoral level because um, at this stage of my career, um, I am creating a lot of programming, right? So uh, what does that mean? Um, I, you know, I also have my own dance company, Cofago Dance Ensemble. And so with this dance comes and educate young people and and give them opportunities, too. So in trying to give them those opportunities, it's always at the part of creating programming, creating programming for the community, creating programming for these young people so that they can perform, so that they have their own uh, vehicles for success. You know, one of the things that I'm really big about with respect to education is that we have to create our own educational units and our own methods of education because not everybody can go to college, right? And so, with that being the case, that's what we do with Cofago. So, I'm still trying to formulate what that doctoral program will be. So, and once I can formulate that, that's when I'll be able to definitely go into it.
1: I'm definitely in the same boat. I'm. Uh, I- I'm in academia as well. And I've been toying around with the idea of doing a doctorate of education. I'm in the mm-hmm. faculty of education, but it's the exact same thing. I'm kind of unsure. I have so many interests. I don't know. I'm trying to hone in on exactly what it is I'm going to spend the next five or six years of my life or four years doing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I could totally resonate and understand that.
2: And then the, the, the other thing that's that's been interesting is this whole coronavirus thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Looking at what is happening to my community, you know we're we're being disproportionately affected by what's going on. So um, there's there's notions of how can I uh, put together something that can happen at the doctoral process where because it's understood this is this is but well, there's going to be a lot of new norms after this thing is over. And so what does that look like uh, for a artist, uh, an arts educator, an arts administrator, but also uh, understanding that you have to have the health side of it, you have to have the nutrition side of it, you have to have that in your programming. And but what does that look like? You know, so those are the conversations that I'm having uh, before I go into yeah. that doctoral program.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's a real like commitment and time commitment and money and all that stuff
0: so especially on the money side that is for sure oh man but it's it's you being um you are a professor as well and you also have your dance group and what's not i'm sure you have lots of students and kids who are interested in pursuing dance Mm full-time and especially being of african-american descent african or caribbean descent we grew up in households where you had to go to school to either do medicine, um, law, engineering, the traditional roles. And you have this kid who says, I want to pursue dance. How would you advise a parent or a child to pursue this career? Because in the parent's eye, they think that, oh, this child is not going to eat for the next, for the rest of their life because there's no career in dance. How would you talk to a parent about that in case there's a kid out there looking to go into dance but can't have that conversation with their parent?
2: So um, one of the things that I'm very honest about is um, the reality, the performing arts reality, Mm -hmm. right? And the reality is, is that if you are passionate about the performing arts no matter how passionate you may be you still have to have some something to supplement your income there's nothing saying that you can't be a web developer and a dancer Mm -hmm. there's nothing saying that you can't be a photographer and a dancer there's nothing saying that you can't be a, a game designer and a dancer but the thing is what i what i always tell young people is that you have to supplement your passion. And, and, and the thing is, is that if you're passionate about dance and you're ready and willing to put this work in, you can be successful, but you have to be able to supplement that success because nobody wants to be around or associated with a starving artist. The notion of a starving artist is very old. And if you are an artist that's starving out there, that means you're not doing something right.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: like I always thought that to my students, um, as many students that I have, you know, they're, they're they're hungry and they want to be successful and they, they want to be serious in dance, but they got to eat too. <laughs> and, and so what I always tell them, and I tell their parents too, like um, support your children, support your children in their desires, but you also want to be realistic and let them know like, listen, if you want to study dance, then your minor has to be in photography. If you want to study dance, then you have to get a minor that is going to be something that's going to pay the bills. Or have a major that's going to support the bills, and then do dance as a minor, and that's something that's also possible as well too.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, when you the the students that you teach, is it are you teaching uh, just African Caribbean dance, or is it dance in general, or like at the at the college level? So my dance?
2: my specialty is African and Caribbean dance. Mm-hmm. Um, I do teach uh, certain forms of Afro modern, if you will, which takes. Uh, Um, traditional uh, dance forms and dance techniques and puts it into a modern perspective, uh, taking away the drums, because it's it's understood traditional African dance is very much driven by the music, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, in the Afro contemporary context, you take away those drums and you might use recorded music or you might, uh, with their movements, as opposed to sticking to and adhering to uh, specific dance, traditional techniques. Mm -hmm. Um, But by and large, I teach uh, forms dealing with African and Caribbean aspects.
1: And how do you think um, that African dance or African-Caribbean dance can promote social change um, within a community or even within somebody's somebody's own self of identity or... Or how, I guess uh, in a, in a positive way.
2: So, a lot of my work deals with social change, and and, and that's from a choreographic perspective. Um, the social change comes from the healing that comes from our work. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a there's a healing aspect to the dance that we do uh, because it's very traditional in nature. Um, there, that that connection to the music, to the drum, to the spirit of the dance is something that is very healing. If people can acknowledge the healing aspect of what it is that we do, then that's where the social change comes, mm-hmm. right? Looking at social change and, and how we, we go about it, uh, my dance company, uh, Cofago Dance Ensemble, we have a choreography called Daughters of the Moon. Daughters of the Moon dealt with some very, very heavy topics um, uh, dealing within the Caribbean community. And those topics had to deal with the notions of rape, um, sexual abuse, child abuse, physical abuse that happened to women in these communities. At space. Uh, we was using the dance itself to not only heal the dancers who told these very powerful stories through the choreography, but it was healing people mm-hmm. in the audience as well, too.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the social change comes because these dancers are are talking about subjects that, that we usually don't talk about in our communities. Mm-hmm. It's just like, ah, yeah. it's whatever. Everybody goes through that, right? But now we're, we're bringing it to the stage, and, and not only are we bringing it to the stage and offering this healing to the community, but we're also tackling this subject matter that is very much a pivotal part of like things like the Me Too movement.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had a documentary, basically called you had a documentary called Walk All Night in a Drumbeat Journey. What led you to make this documentary? Do you plan on making another documentary like this? And what was the impact of that documentary to the world, the general public, to the kids that you, who were in the, in the documentary?
2: So, so, so Walk on a Drumbeat Journey uh, was a, a story about four young men uh, from the South Side of Chicago uh, uh that wanted to uh go to africa right um the way that the story uh manifested was that uh there was a young woman by the name of Al- 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 Alita twelde mm-hmm. and my drum teacher in-, in DC his name is Madun Yasin gay mm-hmm. and uh, we call him Papa Dom so she knew Papa Dom and you know, I'm one of Papa Dom students, so he was like, you know, I want you to meet her and, and see what she has to say and see what this can look like. like so we met, we, we, we hit it, off, uh, and it was like, okay, we're going to take this trip. And so what I did, too, is that um, I also brought uh, two young people with me from D.C., so it was seven all together. And um, when we got to uh, when we got to Senegal, it was it was a beautiful moment. It was a beautiful thing. Um, it was beautiful for me because uh, I have a I had, at that time, I had my own project um, called the Ron Project, the Redefinition of Manhood Project. And um, it was something that was really near and dear to me because um, when I was coming up, my father wasn't necessarily he wasn't around when I was coming up. So any type of mentorship that I would get from men, um, particularly men of color was very, very uh, poignant to me. Mm-hmm. So for me to be able to be there and, and bring it full circle for these young men was very powerful and it was a very transformational uh, moment. We spent about two weeks in Senegal and it was, it was great. It was great. Um, it was a lot of, again, understanding the healing and the culture that 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 is, is very much present, uh, particularly for people um, Africans in America or African Americans going back to the continent for the first time. Mm-hmm. It can be a, a very healing experience, and it was for these young men. Yeah. Um, they they got a chance to perform. Uh, they got a chance to see Senegal and and and, and, and just really. You know just transform themselves and, they forget and really sometimes how
1: areas. um like self-expression is definitely a form of healing mm-hmm. you know we don't necessarily always think of that automatically when you think of like healing or healing from trauma or anything like that but you know expression and creativity is like one of the biggest forms of of healing um sort of in line with another project that i read that you um created called the men must dance project
2: ah yes so um so everything that i do uh it's in cycles right so it's it's with the understanding that one of life's lessons you go through these life's lessons to to learn to grow and to evolve right so after my trip to Senegal with these young men, I was like, you know these I like I, this was good that they were drummers, they were good, but I'm a dancer right And so for me, dance was is something that's very powerful. So so while I was in Senegal, um, that's when the whole uh, Men must dance program came. Now in Senegal, the the people uh, of Senegal, uh they speak wolof mm-hmm. that's the name of the uh language um and it's 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 a byproduct of jolof yes the wolof jolof people you know you have jolof rice and mm-hmm. things of that nature right so in wolof uh the words there's a phrase called nagnufek mm-hmm. and nagnufek it, it translates into the men dance <laughs> okay. right so um there was this piece that I created and and it was dealing with, uh, you know, just black men getting killed, shot and just brutalized by the police. Mm-hmm. And um, it told the story of this young man uh, just just visualizing and seeing and hearing all of this audio and video and it was starting to affect him. And in the choreography, it was like, you know, in order for you to know who you are, you have to know where you come from. And that's where the traditional uh, African dance, West African dance, uh, particularly the uh, genre of Sabah from Senegal, came in, and we did some choreography. And that's how that choreography and that piece, that was a very poignant piece because it like you was talking about social social justice and social change that that was my protest. That was my protest against just so many different black men being killed. Victimized and 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 just brutalized by this political injustice system that we live in, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's still pretty relevant to sort of like what's going on in the world today, especially with like the attack on black men, um, especially with um, especially in the U.S. One, I know it does definitely happen in Canada, but it's way more spoken about and many more cases so is this um is this program is it like still in existence like do you is it something that you um like is it do you know what I mean like is it something that is constantly living or was it so
2: it it lives on through my dance company um I just brought in uh so because there's so many different parts to it so um during the summer uh I'm not teaching at QCC. Uh, But I was, for the past two years, I was running this program with a Caribbean-based organization in Brooklyn called Sesame Flyers International. Mm -hmm. And um, they have, because in in New York, you know, you have Labor Day Carnival, which is really big, happens every Labor Day weekend. And, um, you know, one of the challenges that this organization had is like, they wanted to put 150 dancers on the road. It's like, (laughs) okay, we can do that. Um, And so, The byproduct of that was the formation of my dance company called Fago Dance Ensemble. Excuse me, this past year in 2019, we got a large group of men. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know why. (laughs) You know, the moon was in the right place. Who
1: knows?
2: (laughs) Um, But I felt that um, even though the program was over and it was just a summer program and it was over once the summer was over, I felt like, you know, I, I still had to do something with these young men. Mm -hmm. right and so I brought them in I'm like if you guys are willing to do the work you know I will train you and um they were they were dedicated and um they worked and uh they ended up getting on stage for the first time uh at a show that I I produced in December and they killed it And, and but you could see that they're they're like you what we try to do is that we try to connect them with that, that, that that male energy. And it's not, it's something that's very old, it's it's very traditional in nature, but once you connect with it and you're on that stage, it's nothing like it.
1: You must see a lot of like transformation um, oh yeah. from oh yeah. when they start to sort of like, you know, being a part of your dance company. But uh, does, uh, what does the, your dance company, what is the name, um, what is the meaning behind uh, the name? Pofago.
2: Kofago is a combination of two words, right? Uh, You have, uh, in in Ghana, you have Sankofa, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, To, you know, always remember where you come from, right? And in Nigeria, you have the deity Shango. Shango is the lord of the dance. He is also the lord of the drum uh, and thunder and lightning. So what I did is I wanted to combine these two entities. Understanding that we have a love and a passion for the arts and culture, we also have to remember where we come from. Mm-hmm. So, Kofago, Sankofa, Shango, you cut them, put them together, Kofako, Remix.
0: <laughs> yeah. I like that. Name, though. Yeah. I like it. I think it's really good. So, dealing with um, art, I think that art is such a powerful thing i don't think it's given the credit that it deserves in our Mm -hmm. communities especially in the black community i.e african-american african caribbean communities how would you um in lower income communities how would you think art dance music can benefit those communities especially our young kids because as much as they do believe that sometimes the stereotype is either they go into sports or they go into music, but their art is so wide and vast. How would you, what would, how does the, how does art benefit the lower income communities and how can it be an out of the out of their current situation?
2: So historically speaking, and um, I can speak to communities uh, here in the States, uh, particularly in New York, Chicago, Chicago, Uh, Washington, D.C., and I'll even say Los Angeles. Um, African dance, traditional West African dance in particular, has been very much a part of those communities that you're referring to. Um, The dance companies that, that were formed and the dancers that came, particularly in the late 60s and early 70s, they went straight to those communities to dance. They went straight to those communities to teach people about history, culture, um, the dance and a drum, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in looking at that, um, the dance has always provided a way to heal those who were looking for healing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at what it is that you're saying about certain, certain communities, particularly inner city communities, lower income communities, it, it, it'll pull you. It pulls you. It, it It's it's a natural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many people who I've met that that will tell me that, man, when I was growing up, if it wasn't for this drum or if it wasn't for this dance or if it wasn't for Baba so-and-so that was teaching me a dance class or Mama so-and-so that was teaching me a, drum, a dance class, I don't know where I would be today. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, I, I would say that it has always been there. I think the challenge that we run into is, is not that we're, we're, we're not accepted or it is not um, a part of what goes on in the inner city. I think that what ends up happening is that we can only reach but so many people at once. Mm-hmm. That's the challenge. Mm-hmm. So, so like if you look at it from, from the perspective of an educational paradigm, In an ideal situation, you would want to have like five, six, seven different public schools that all have teachers that know how to teach African dance. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you would also want there to be a community-based center where people can go take African dances on the weekends or maybe after work and things of that nature. It's the combination of all of that together that could really change a community. Because that's what it's been, that's, that's what it's been like, but it's just not at that large size, right? So you might have one dance teacher, that dance teacher probably teaches an adult class probably twice a week. On Saturdays, they probably run children's programming, but that's not enough. <laughs> it sounds like it's a lot, but it's not enough.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: need it to be at the school level and, and the challenges is, and what we fight with at the educational level, is how important is traditional African and Caribbean dances compared to a modern or a ballet, mm-hmm. right? And so from the academia side of it, that's the fight that we always have. It's understood that like our, our traditional dances and these dances are ethnic dances, just like ballet is. Mm-hmm. But it's that, that societal racist structure that puts those two, eurocentric and european models of dance above ours do
0: you partner with... with so like i mean we know i think it's quite obvious why they put that there because of all that's going on but why haven't we made our dance the top and allowed it to be the top and making all these european dances seem more superior to our own what have do we just neglected or what is what do you think is the history behind that if i'm framing this correctly
2: that's such a loaded question and i'm gonna tell you why um the reason so how do our people look at themselves every single time they wake up and look in the mirror that's the first part right um i like i don't want to get i don't want to get too political (laughs) <laughs> but there, there, you know, you can really tell how people treat themselves and how they love themselves by the way that they acknowledge themselves. We have people in our communities that are still struggling and fighting to acknowledge who they are, right? So we can't even begin to to even have the conversation, the larger conversation that's needed around advocacy, right? Uh, to, we need people to advocate for the, the reason why it is so important for young people of color to take African and Caribbean dance classes. There's no reason why someone who's grown up in Brooklyn, New York, whose family comes from Jamaica, doesn't know all of the traditional dances that come from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why somebody that comes from Ghana doesn't know what an acomb is. There's no reason for that. That's unacceptable, right? (laughs) But then how are we willing to have that conversation about how hard we have to go for this and how comfortable we are with ourselves and going and advocating for what it is that we need? As much as we want to talk about how we have to work together within the diaspora, we're not having those conversations in the diaspora. How many Africans are having a conversation with African-Americans? How many African-Americans are having that conversation with people from the Caribbean? You know, there's so many different stereotypes that we get. You know, African-Americans are lazy. They're just lazy, 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 lazy. They don't want to work, they don't want to do this. Uh, Africans, they want to be white, and da, da da. It's There's so many different things. We got to be able to get out of that first. Before we can advocate for what the educational institutions should acknowledge as the way it should be,
1: and I think too, uh, it's um, it's like really um, talking about the the importance of dance or the importance of um, what dance can do for somebody, for example, because I think that a lot of people look at dance sometimes just the superficial like the fun of it. Oh, it's so fun. But as you were talking about before, like there's a healing process, self-expression, talking about self-identity and self-worth. And so I think that those things should be highlighted too when sort of talking about the importance of dance and how um, it could be prioritized above other Eurocentric types of forms Mm -hmm. of dance. Um, I was going to sort of like following up to Ajwa's question, do you partner with a lot of like high schools and elementary schools, to bring that sort of awareness. at all? I used
2: to, uh, uh, but I feel like at my age, uh, I, it's it's more important for me to uh, get dancers into those spaces. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I would usually do is, um, there are organizations that will come to our company and they'll be like, "Well, we need we need somebody to teach this dance class, or we need somebody to." Uh, run this after school program. And so what, we, what I will do is that I act as somewhat of a clearinghouse at, at a certain level to make sure that we can find those young people that mm-hmm. can go do what needs to get done. Right. So that's, that's how it works. Um, and then there's times where they want the whole company to come in. Uh, right before this whole coronavirus thing came in, we had like performances for Black History Month because that's right. February here in the States. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there was a number of things that we did there to, to celebrate that. Right. But at, at, this, at this stage um, of my career, um, I teach less. And mm-hmm. the reason why I teach less is because um, I'm in the process of trying to institutionalize what it is that I know.
0: Right. And
2: so because I'm trying to build programming around what it is that I've been taught, um, I've pulled back teaching mm-hmm. as much. But what I'm doing instead is that I'm pushing the young people that I work with out in front of me to make sure that they have right. the right opportunity.
1: Um, you sort of touched on this before about the significant of, significance of African dance. I think we've been sort of talking about that this whole time, but how do you think African-Americans can use dance to get, um, to get closer or a closer sense um, to being, sorry, a clo- closer to the continent? sort of a sense of being closer to the continent
2: so we we have to go back to that freedom of expression we was talking about earlier right um it's there i think that what happens um in the american context and even sometimes in the african-american context is that we just have to do a better job of recognizing and knowing our history right Mm -hmm. So if you look at hip hop dance, right? Hip hop is 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 big, like break dancing, everything of that nature, anything dealing with hip hop is big, right? But the predecessor of hip hop is jazz, mm-hmm. right? The predecessor of jazz is African dance. So we're not talking about stuff that is uh, so distant and far away that they can't connect with it. It's right there, mm-hmm. right? So I think the first thing is being able to be in a space where you know you can teach people about their own history. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, what happens in the United States is that history can be cherry-picked. People only take certain parts of the history. Um, African-Americans, unfortunately, are taught that they are the descendants of slaves, and that's pretty much it, mm-hmm. right? So if you just take that piece, that cherry-picked piece, and you use that, and that alone, that becomes a, a, a part of the story, and only one half of the story. And you have to give a certain level of context with that as well, too. And in that context, yes, we were the descendants of slaves, but we were also the descendants of kings and queens too. Right. Exactly. And and so so in that context, those slaves, they was they was rebelling all the time. <laughs> you know, they did not. They did not succumb and submit, they strategized. And then in even using and having that strategy, they used dancing and drumming to do it. I always tell people, um, I love love the story of the Haitian people Mm -hmm. and their fight for freedom uh, because of how much their traditional African culture and the formation of their new Haitian culture played such a pivotal role in them getting their freedom from France. And I think that that's a story that every person in the African diaspora has to know because Mm -hmm. that was the first country, the first country that got got its freedom from their oppressors.
0: And it's amazing because we are in the decade of people of African descent. Um, Last year we celebrated 400 years since the first slave ship came to uh, the Americas. And we've suddenly seen this exodus of African Americans moving to Africa and rediscovering their roots. Ghana, this past year, had this whole year of return celebration where you could go back and, you know, do your DNA testing, find out where you're from, buy property, buy land, gain citizenship. But there's still a little bit of there's still some underlying anger that some American, African Americans have. I know I was in Ghana during the year of return and some of the African Americans, and these are conversations that I heard from some of them or eavesdropped on, they still didn't want to mingle with Africans because there was this little bit of, I don't know, not feeling like they belong. How do you think that we can mend that relationship. I know there's so much to do, like it has to go back to all these other things that we have to do. But what can we do as a people now to let them know that yes, we messed up, we sold you into slavery, we're sorry about that? But how can we mend that relationship now, um, either through music or dance, or what can we do to show them that? We are one people and you're not different from us. The only difference is, you know, we can trace back where we're from. Some of them have to do more tracing than some of us have to, if that's even a question to ask.
2: <laughs> that's a deep one.
1: <laughs>
2: and, and so So I'll say this. And um because I, I wear so many different hats. Right. Um, one of the things that that I'll say is, in order for a person to be healed, they have to be open to the healing. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. Um, I make it my business to work with the people who are willing to be healed and wanting to heal. Mm-hmm. I work with the people who want to grow. You work with the people who want to change. You can't change everybody. Everybody's not going to change who they are. You have some people. Um, so one thing that I'll say, and um, I, I have to give a, a, a big shout out to my better half, Dr. Teddy, uh, solo Teddy for, for making this opportunity happen. But she's always, she's always um, preaching about the notion of people recognizing their trauma, right? At, at a certain level, we all walk around with a certain level of trauma. No matter where you come from, no matter what you've gone through in your life, right? The first part of dealing with that trauma is recognizing and acknowledging that you have it. If you're in a position where you can't even acknowledge that you have trauma, then there's no conversation needed to be had. So let's use that in in the notion of people, um, say, maybe African-Americans, I'll just use them as an example, who would take it upon themselves to get on a plane, go to Ghana or any part of, of Africa, and not take that time to heal the generational trauma that you have through your lineage for you to even step foot on the continent and appreciate what it is that you're doing for all of those that came before you that never had that opportunity. That's number one, right? If you can't acknowledge that, and and that, 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 me being and going to the continent, being able to see someone else that's from the States and see them, like, just, just, just release as soon as you can jump off that plane. If you're not doing that, I can't, I can't mess with you. This, this, I'm not even, Stay over there. I'm not, I'm not, mm -mm, you stay on that side of the bar, I'll stay over here with my people that's happy to be, because we were supposed to go, we were supposed to go to the year of the return. Unfortunately, I got a new job opportunity and he wasn't able to go, but man, if I would have been there and if I would have met somebody that's like, well, y'all don't even want to act right and this is that and the other, no, stay over there with that. I'm going to work with the people like my brother, my sister, how can, here's my business card how can we build
0: mm-hmm.
2: that's how it has to be at this point and for those people that don't want to be a part of that conversation and don't want to be a part of that healing you can't really do anything about that
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's almost like you know you cannot um set priorities for people that like they just do not see the importance in this right um before we just have sort of one more question but before i ask this final question do you have any programming or projects in the works um, this like well after covid well
2: well well we, we had a lot uh man it, it was before before covid 19 came uh, my company was actually in a process of producing its first full-length uh, production for june 12th actually, but it's not happening because of COVID-19. Uh, we're, we're actually going to be shifting away from that uh, to possibly uh, creating a documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so this documentary is gonna be building off of what I did in Walk All Night. Mm-hmm. A drumpy journey. And um, you know, we're we're just looking to see. We actually put in a grant for it, and we're we're in the final stages of that grant. So keeping our fingers crossed to getting funding for that. And and again, like our, our story and our journey, particularly around what we do in Cofago, um, is about healing, using this culture, using this 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 art to heal ourselves. Um, and so that's what we're focused on. Uh if Things go right. We've also been accepted into the Battery Park Dance Festival uh, that should be happening in August. And then there is uh, an event that I produce, and this will be the third year that I'm going to be producing it. It happens in December. Um, It is uh, Kwanzaa Celebration that we have, uh, and it's Kofago Dance Ensemble. My dancers at Queensborough Community College, and then we just invite a whole bunch of people to come together and celebrate Kwanzaa. But we also it's kind of like our celebrating the 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 end of the year. And considering how twenty twenty <laughs> has been, Gosh. we are we are hoping and praying that we can have this performance. And once we do I will definitely get you guys information so that we can live stream it to you guys
0: yes please out in
2: Ontario and Canada so you can yeah. see it so that mm-hmm. i I really feel like and it's so funny because we've been we've been doing this show now for the past two years and um and it's it's every year it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and um I just feel like this is going to be the way that we have to end the year because by the time the the year comes, we're just going to need so much healing. And it's like to be able to get on that stage and to uh, entertain and and also to conduct these these dance rituals that that are about healing, I just look forward to that.
1: Well, speaking of COVID, um, I know a lot of my creative friends, whether it's in dance or um, singing or... Um, my partner's a filmmaker. So he's used this time to really be productive as far as like coming up with ideas. But how do you think that this whole COVID situation has actually impacted the arts yeah. um, or, or creatives, you know, like, uh, I know some people are using it as a, as a time to reflect. And we've talked about this on our podcasts before about being introspective and really trying to find, like ways to be creative, but it could also do the latter and and be really depressing for people and maybe take away that urge to be creative. So what are your thoughts on that?
2: So my dancers and my dance company, we used to have rehearsal twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays from seven to nine, right? Um, that stopped like the first week of March. and And so what we do now is that we have like a weekly Zoom call just to check in on them, make sure they're good, make sure their families are good and things of that nature. And one of the things that I always tell them is that there's a certain energy of intent behind this thing, right? The world was literally told to just
0: stop. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Stop. Just stop doing everything that you're doing. Sit, stop, sit, breathe.
1: Yeah.
2: Those three things. And so what I tell my dancers is that use this time to take your healing to an even different level. See, what ends up happening is that the work that we do uh, is, is connected to the drum, right? Mm-hmm. People get caught up in that energy. When they hitting that drum, they hear that, they just, oh, they want to dance, they want to sing. But there's also an energy in being still
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
2: and an energy of, of, of going inside oneself and dealing. Remember when was talking about uh, people that don't want to deal with their traumas, when you're sitting by yourself at night and there's nobody else around, you have no one else to deal with but yourself. And so what I tell my dancers and what I tell a lot of artistic people is that, yo, let's use this time to get ourselves together. Mm-hmm. Because once they open up the gates, there's going to yes. be more than enough work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to be in a place, in a position where you're not doing the healing for yourself in this time of stillness. Yeah. Right? And then, so that's what I tell people and that's what I tell artists. And then the other side, the flip side of that is that you have to make sure that you can take advantage of the technologies that are out there to help you do what you do. So there are a lot of dancers that are doing their classes on Zoom. And like I like I taught a class just yesterday um, on Zoom. But then there's another side of it. They're like I, I, I tell people that this needs to be the time where we are using technology to also tell the stories of our past, you know? Um, how many pictures do you have? How many old performances do you have? Like, you you know, I was a part of a dance company that has been around for 30 plus years. What does is, what is their story look like? And can we put that story online? You know, so, so these are the conversations that are being had within the dance community and within the arts community, because I definitely think that this time needs to be taken to just look at how we're going to re-educate our people Mm. because the whole notions of what education is is changing drastically Mm -hmm. fast right and so i think that as artists we have to be on a on the other side of that curve ready to implement ready to dance ready to teach and ready to heal i really feel like
0: with what COVID is doing right now, it will force, I think there's, there's going to be this surge of creativity that is going to come out after this because people would have done their, hopefully done introspection of themselves and their creative juices are, they're sitting at home and for dancers, they're coming up with new formations or choreography and what's yes. lost. And so, when you come out, that energy that you've been storing up for this time period is just going to bring, I think, a different outlook on arts. Because, and this time we're watch, we're seeing on social media, TikTok, where people are coming up with dances. <laughs> w- what we had the Megan the Stallion, whatever. I'm yeah. a oh,
2: savage.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm
2: like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> how do I know that? I follow my students. I I I'm like, what? Oh, okay.
0: No, yep. so people are created Yes, I mean, she came out with a new the remix mm-hmm. with Beyonce. The people had already come out with a formation. And I'm like, goodness gracious, it's so amazing mm-hmm. how people just have all this creativity in this insight. creativity, yep. And mm-hmm. people who maybe did not have the time to dance or create are now being forced to use this time to do all that. So it's just so interesting how the world had to stop for people to go, I don't know, like live in their purpose or rediscover purpose or to use their skills and their knowledge or their creativity to create greatness. I think.
1: I also think too, like uh, social media has um, for sure, people could use social media in a really bad way, but it's—I think—it's uplifted so many people and made so many people, like Azra said, like new dancers. They found they found that confidence to do that TikTok video, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to maybe then think about, you know, what once this COVID situation's over, I'm going to take a dance class mm-hmm. and sort of ignite that passion that they've always had. Because it's true, like when have we had the opportunity to be this still? you know, and to be this much um, in tune with ourselves. So I see you want to show us something. Yes, <laughs>
2: this, this is my little creative journal, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: As an art, I come up with stuff all the time. Uh, there's times where it'll hit you in your dreams and you want to wake up. Yes,
0: and, yeah. wanna,
2: <laughs> and, and I tell my students all the time that uh, you got to journal through this because this moment that we're going through is historic yeah. on a lot of different levels. Yeah. Um, it is very sad and very unfortunate that we are people are losing their lives the way that they are mm-hmm. uh but on on the opposite side of that there is a lot of creativity that's happening as you all are, are highlighting that you just you just you like like i i i turn on like instagram and tiktok and i'm just amazed at the stuff that i see mm-hmm. and the platforms of people being able to communicate being born and it's so funny um there there there's uh these two artists swiss beats and timberland
0: mm-hmm. yeah
2: um they're doing this thing called verses and uh, you know <laughs> they have these artists that are you know competing against each other and i think last one was teddy riley versus Babyface. Baby. oh
0: i was on and, there
2: <laughs> i know i'm showing my age right
0: now but I, like
2: all of the music that they
0: played oh, i was God.
1: like yo but it is yeah, pretty amazing. It's like when like it works. I was gonna it say because Teddy no. Riley was just it just was not working. But it but shows
2: it. a dichotomy because you're looking at these people that are like elders now,
1: you know, <laughs>
2: and, and, and they're trying to figure out what the technology is. Yes. And then you got kids that are like, bruh, just take the speaker off. Just
1: just, I know. It, just take the auxiliary cord out, or um the funny thing with that sort of sound clash or battle was that they said that Teddy Riley purposefully, you know, blocked Babyface in the second one. I don't know if you were if
0: really? you watched
1: the second one, blocked him out of the room so that he wasn't able to get back in so that he could oh. have his own
0: time. <laughs> um, anyways, I was team Babyface for that one. I was team Babyface for damn sure. <laughs> you brought some hits that I was just sitting there. I thought I was like going to have like a heart attack because I'll just like, I'll just hear one song and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's, <laughs> back to a different time and I'm like, oh my gosh the power of music how it can just mm-hmm. hit you with nostalgia you can go back to that time in history where you first heard that song or what was happening and it just has this brings emotions but I'm loving how this period is bringing families together because they're now dancing you see grandmothers and grandchildren creating these dances together and mm-hmm. um, You know, it's just amazing how it's the power of dance has, you know, something that we we almost take for granted because we see it as, oh, back then it's not a real job. It's the very thing that are keeping people sane in this period of time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And you have artists coming out with songs just so that they can start a dance craze. Yeah. Mm -hmm you
2: know it's beautiful it's beautiful it's it's beautiful because um you know we 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 talk about dance but what we also have to talk about is culture too right and so when you look at our culture and i'll say our in the diasporic culture there's so many different beautiful facets of it while um teddy riley and, and babyface was doing their thing um that same weekend was supposed to be carnival in Jamaica, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, what was the name of that company? There was a, a, DigiCell.
0: Digicel Digicel
2: Jamaica was having a concert and they had like two of the biggest reggae artists, Beanie Man and Bounty Killer on like on your phone. So Mm -hmm. Beanie, I grew up, I grew up in a Caribbean neighborhood. So like, you know, seeing Beanie Man and Bounty Killer doing all those old school songs. I was like, well, look, y'all, Teddy, I'll fix, your, <laughs> I'm gonna fix y'all thing. I'm gonna be on yeah. you
0: know,
2: over here with this music. So there, there's there's something to be said about the African diaspora culture, whether it comes from the continent, the Caribbean, or the States, um, that is getting people through this, 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 this corona, this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's it's a beautiful thing, and and it's led to so much creativity, mm-hmm. um, and you know you see it every time you go on social media.
1: Well, the the next uh, the next verses is um, Erica Badu and Jill Scott. Oh. So it was supposed to be Erica Badu and Lauren Hill, but that fell through, yeah, I guess, and now it's so. Jill Scott. <laughs> but, you know,
2: and, and I don't think that would have worked, and, and oh. the reason why. So, in order for the verses to work, they have to be somewhat similar artists or similar. Yeah. Artists. And so, when you look at Jill Scott and Erica Badu's body of work, they both came out around the same time. Um, I think Jill Scott came out maybe like two years later than Erica, but their 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 body of work is similar. Lauren Hill, I didn't think that was fair because Lauren Hill had this whole career with the Fugees yeah. as an MC. Not as a singer, mm-hmm. but as an MC, before she started singing, mm-hmm. right? And so I didn't think that would have been fair to, to Erica, actually. And she even said it online. She was yeah, like... Yes, she
1: did. She said, you know, she said I'd get crushed.
2: Yeah, and, and so um, I think the Jill Scott, Erica Badu, that, that's a... Man, I, I used to have a Jill Scott versus Erica Badu mixtape, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> Showing my age yet again. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be a great one. I think it's
1: going to yeah. be great And I'm sure more will pop up. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: this is the thing now, right?
2: Mm-hmm. So we get out of this thing, and then it will probably turn into real concerts. And- yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I know that's not happening for a little, maybe a year or two, but it's amazing how during this time that the very thing that, you know, was keeping us apart is what is bringing us together and that is technology. So we're able to now go a ticket. I would have paid God knows for an Erica Badi or Jill Scott um, concert would have cost me so much, but now I can sit in the comfort of my living room and hold it in my phone and relive my past without having to spend money and seeing about 500, hopefully 500,000 people will come on just like they did with Teddy and, baby face and um just being united by this thing that's you know is it's uh-huh. insane it's just
1: a- I, I actually i actually paid um erica Badu was having a live concert in her house that. yeah, i did good. i paid i paid i think it was like 275 us it's three bucks it's yeah three. it was like how do you I was like, yes, I'm going to do this. I want to be in Erykah Badu's living room, you know? (laughs) So that was pretty cool.
2: But but I think that's a beautiful thing too. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things, just to bring it back to like performance and dance, one of the things that's been really beautiful about this time is that um, I have teachers that are all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I have uh, one of my teachers, uh, Dufel, he's in Haiti. He's teaching classes, and I can go to his classes now, Yeah, you know? And it's like, how cool is that? There's another young brother out in Senegal. Like, like I've heard so much awesome stuff. I can go to his classes on Tuesdays, <laughs> and it's cool, you know? Yeah. I have people in Uganda teaching dance class. Like, I got people all over the world teaching classes, and there's nothing separating me from them anymore. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things uh, about this, um, this, this process and this journey. But one thing that I wanted to say about erika Badu that I think is very important is that, like, erika Badu ticket, like, it, like I remember seeing erika in concert, and that ticket must have cost me, like, 50 to 75 US dollars. Mm-hmm. It's like, she's just asking for three bucks. Come on. Like, we gotta be able to support these artists.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
2: that's yeah. another big thing, too, because one of the things that we're not taking into consideration with this new economy is that in the performing arts our ability to perform is 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 our bread and butter
0: yeah. right
2: you take away that ability to perform what do you have yeah. so i think that it's all the more important that we support our artists as much as we can through this because this is just a whole new infrastructure for everyone right yeah Erica, God God bless her. She had the infrastructure to be like, Look, I'm going to have this concert. It's going to be in my living (laughs) room. Go on uh, whatever system to pay for it. And I'll give you the code and you can come on in. And that's beautiful. That's great.
1: There's
2: a lot of artists out there that don't have that technology.
1: Yeah. And now she actually has like a, a platform, a streaming platform. So, like, that's what's, you know, that is what came out of this whole situation. She probably thought, this is a great idea. I know um like a lot of the proceeds for that concert went to her band. Um so but yeah, it's like uh I, somebody said something like a quote about the arts and that like you said we have to con- constantly support our artists because um the arts and entertainment bring us joy and and entertain, right? It's like what Gil like Adjo said it gives us this feeling of nostalgia. Um and so I, I agree it's really important to pay that two dollars and that dollar and I don't know if you like I said in the last Teddy Riley versus babyface, and when he was alone in his in his room, um he was really pushing for those donations.
2: So Yeah, he was. He was
1: and <laughs> Teddy. So.
2: <laughs> he he he's a oldie. He,
0: yeah. he looks great.
2: <laughs> he, he was doing too much. He,
1: was,
0: he, <laughs> he did the he, he did was, the most. He, he really really he did most. the most. But um, before we let you go, um, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media or they want to be a part of your dance group or where can they find you?
2: so uh we are big time on instagram so uh if you want to follow me my hashtag is well my handle is kev chronicles so it is k-e-v-c-h-r-o-n-c-l-e-s chronicles kev chronicles uh that's also my handle on twitter as well uh if you want to follow the dance company uh their instagram is Kofago dance Mm-hmm. on Instagram, as well as on Facebook. And I'm on Facebook as well, too. Um, and uh, my website is also uh, kevchronicles.com. The the website for the dance company is called dance.com, And you can always come check us out.
0: Okay. We'll definitely tag your... We'll definitely put your handles and your website on our page when we're promoting this. So if they didn't they can't spell for some reason they can see there and then um at least follow you and yeah it's definitely it's definitely been a very enjoyable interesting conversation you've definitely opened oh, eyes to the world of dance and especially with in this especially in this climate that we're living in and you definitely got me thinking a lot about the importance of the arts especially now in this time because it's a necessary evil as much as you know it 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 makes life more exciting compared to you know if you're not interested in i think it's the one thing that unifies all people art music and dance and the arts regardless of what your cultural background is even the racist people love some hip-hop or r&b or whatever you know if you if, if there's a good beat you enjoy it you know, if you like a dance, you dance it. So I think that's the beauty about music and dance. And it's great that you have really enlightened us and hopefully our listeners too, to this wonderful world. That if I could just,
1: sorry if I could just add and also um, to thank you for bringing sort of like the perspective of of depth in in dance and not just sort of like the superficial, like fun part about dance, but talking about healing and trauma and self-expression and identity. Um, I think knowing that, I know for myself and probably for Ajwa too, like it just adds another element of appreciation to to the, you know, that form of expression. So we thank you so much. Thank you, thank you uh, for
2: having me, appreciate yes. you uh this is this has been this has been a great uh journey and um i gotta give a shout out to my my qcc dance major we'll be listening Very cool. we, we do what we do as well as my Kofago dance family as well too uh, everything that we do we do for our ancestors and we do just for the healing you know mm-hmm. it's 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 been a pleasure ladies and it's been an honor thank
1: you so much and stay safe out there
0: We're back. We just had a really fun conversation with Kevin. I really enjoyed it. It was so insightful. It was. Um, I learned. We. I think we. We learned a lot about dance and also with arts during this time. The conversation just. I loved it. I just had a really fun time, Nicole. What do. What about you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Completely. I think like he. He really went in. Um, in sort of in depth about like what dance means to him, what it does for people and self-expression. And I think what I really enjoyed about it is just learning about, um, I think his focus is West African dance um, or like Af- dance from West Africa. And what I, what I really liked about it is just his ultimate goal to really get men involved in, in dance and kind of what it does for somebody's self-esteem. So that was really cool. It makes you think about dance in a whole different level right not just kind of like these challenges that we're seeing on instagram which was super cute which i could not do because i'm just not cool like that (laughs) but um yeah no it was really cool to listen to he's really passionate about it you can tell you know
0: you tell he is and i think dancers are just a special breed of people because they can allow their bodies to move in ways in such fluidity that I'm so stiff like when I'm dance, like Thanks I can't too, even man. like if I want to go down like there's a level I can get to like I can't go lower and they're just amazing that they just let their bodies move and seeing all these even yeah. now in times of COVID that dance is what is sustaining people bringing people together and all these challenges and these TikToks, and it's amazing that you know it's uniting us or keeping us sane during this period of um yeah
1: and all these challenges that like it's also when you think about it it's really good like marketing for these these singers especially like what's her name megan the stallion
0: megan the stallion drake also Uh, uh, the two c role or whatever and yeah mm -hmm. no i
1: mean so it's like a really good way to you know keep people engaged and active but honestly i don't know if i could ever do a TikTok. (laughs) No. like tiktok or a challenge i just honestly feel so funny when i have to dance solo but you know catch me on the catch me at like a latin club i can salsa anybody's butt off okay so that's a that's that's a challenge for anybody that wants to salsa me Salsa with me or against me
0: (laughs) you can join me in my bedroom where i dance my heart out with nobody watching not even my family i believe I can twerk very well in the mirror but um I look back at the mirror and see what I'm doing I realize that I'm not doing anything but uh it's definitely you know what my my back can't handle a twerk no no I don't think my booty's flexed it's that, you know jiggly enough it's a bit <laughs> But um, hopefully one day, like, I feel like it's one of those things that I always wanted to take a dance class. I've always wanted to be in a dance troupe, but never was flexible enough to do it. Well,
1: interesting, interesting fact. I mean, I've taken, so I've taken an, like, African dance class. I've taken salsa, but the one that really was, like, really passion and in my heart was samba. So I used to do samba for a couple years in Montreal. And I was able to go to Brazil and dance with a like an academy there. So samba is really cool too. It's so good for your calves. But you know what I tried doing I can still I can still samba and like do the basic two step and all that. But my knees Oh my gosh, my knees can't handle it, man. I'm just like I'm honestly breaking down.
0: No, uh yeah, girl. Oh. When it comes to knees, that's why I said even squats is not. I do a boot camp, and <laughs> my instructor literally has said it's okay, Ado. He, he doesn't even call me Ado; he calls me Aduja. Aduja. <laughs> I don't have the heart to correct him, but I mean, why? <laughs> I just can't. I'm not, I can't be, I'm at the point where I can't be bothered. I'm like, just let me lose weight. You're so funny. (laughs) I'm just like, Aduja, you could just like go as low as you can. Like, but don't even go. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um way. It's That's
1: so funny. Wait, he's saying Aduja. So he's yeah. like putting a U in your name somewhere. Yeah, um, name there,
0: but it's all good.
1: <laughs> but, but anyways, yeah, it was a really cool conversation with Kevin. And we were so happy to have him on. Um, and I think that is it for us for today.
0: Yes, join us. But, time. Um i'm I i do not know who we have next. We might not have a guest the next one, but it's definitely we'll definitely have an episode worth listening to, so don't just come on just don't don't just listen when we have guests on listen when we don't because we still have a lot to say, and um, I think we're a fun, interesting whoa, and our guests make enhance us, but we are
1: we're we're the. Possible.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, <that's cool. laughs> yeah, worth listening to. yeah. So tune in to our next episode. I think that would be episode six. Um, but make sure to um yeah, to subscribe and subscribe to our page and our um our episodes are available on most if not all streaming platforms. So everybody take care, continue to wash your hands. <laughs> And we'll see you and talk to you next time.
2: go.